You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good evening, church. How's everybody doing? Good? Merry Christmas to everybody. Even though it is a little difficult to celebrate Christmas when it's 104 degrees outside. But... Uh, and the humidity is at about 85%. So, um, but it's always a good time to celebrate Jesus and, and his birth and uh, who he is and what he's done for us. And that's what we're doing tonight uh, through the music and through the word, um, which we're about to jump into. Um, tonight, we're going to be in the gospel of Luke in the first chapter. If you want to turn there, we'll get going. We're going to begin in the 26th verse there, um, looking at when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and um, foretells this, this fact that Jesus is going to be born, that she's going to have a child. And so I want to read that to you um, tonight, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. But Luke chapter 1, verse 26, as you turn there, um, listen, I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you're a first-time uh, person here, we're extremely glad you just chose to come and worship with us. We hope you'll come back sometime, um, but we're glad you're here and uh, glad you came today or tonight to worship with us. It says in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of Mary. The virgin's name or descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was told, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail, or for nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And let's pray. God, thank you for your word to us tonight. Thank you for your heart for us tonight, for your love for us. Who, God, we, we, we oftentimes come so short of who you are and what you created us to be, but your love is there. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your love that God just leads us and challenges us, God, that changes us, Lord. Would you do that in us tonight? Would you move in a powerful way right here? Holy Spirit, would you come and do work in our hearts? Lord, I pray that we wouldn't come with a preconceived notion of what this night should be, that we would open our hearts to receive what you have for us tonight. God, that we would listen to your voice. We would hear what you say. And our lives would be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to ask a quick question as we get going tonight. And that question is, how many of you 
um, actually grew up here in Statesboro. How many of you are Statesbarians, right? You've been around here for a long time. How many of you grew up in a town maybe the size of Statesboro, maybe a little smaller? Um, so small town, um, you grew up in a small town. Yeah, that's, that's probably most of us, it looks like, in the room who um, grew up in some type of a small town, um, Statesboro or somewhere like Statesboro. Now here's my next question. Which travels faster, the speed of light or gossip? Gossip, right? It travels, it, it literally, you've heard this before, but it literally can beat you across town, right? This news, it can travel faster than you can, tra faster than the speed of light. Gossip gets around a small town. I was thinking about that because I was thinking about Mary in Nazareth. I was thinking about this is a small town. This is not some metropolis where Mary could go unnoticed where this young virgin um, or supposedly young virgin, according to what people would have thought, could have gone unnoticed. It's something that would have been noticed. It's something that people would have seen. It's something that people would have taken note of. And so here's this young girl who is in this, this, this place, this um, predicament of being um, looked at, of being... Um, ostracized really from her people, from her family, from her friends, from everyone in her life. See, she had many, many things stacked against her. For one, she was a woman in a culture that didn't look highly on women. Or another thing, as a common person, as just a regular person in that day and time, she wouldn't have been wealthy. In fact, she probably would have been pretty poor. She wouldn't have had a lot of material things to, to sustain her, to, to give her um, the things that she needed as she realizes she's coming into this pregnancy out of wedlock. Um, she was in uh, Nazareth. This is her hometown. Nazareth was where she uh, was um, living. Um, it's where the angel came to her and visited her. And Nazareth was not thought of as a well-to-do town. It was thought of um, very lowly. It was not a town that people thought of Nazareth and thought great things about them, uh, about the city or about the people who lived there. And so she had this going against her. And now she finds out that she's gonna be pregnant out of wedlock. And you need to understand in the Jewish culture, this was um, almost and could literally be a death sentence. It could have led to her being stoned to death according to the Jewish law because she would have had sex outside of marriage. And so this was something that um, they literally could have killed her over. But it, it at least meant being ostracized from her social circles because not only was she gonna be rejected, but the people who were close to her, they had to reject her and reject her behavior because of how um, of what she had done, right? Or what she had apparently done. She would have been kicked out of the religious circles that she was in, um, no longer allowed to worship the way everybody else worshiped. This was literally like being cursed and being kicked out of, of everything that she knew. So she was in a place where it was desperate. It was, it was something where she was hurting. I want you to think about what Mary's Nazareth looked like. I want you to think about what she must have felt, the fear that she must have felt in Nazareth, that, that, that these people could literally, according to the law, stone me to death, kill me. I want you to think about the anxiety that could have crept into her heart. I want you to think about the fear. Um, I want you to think about her circumstance. I want you to think about uh, the, the condemnation that she would have experienced from other people. I want you to think about the pain that she would have experienced from other people, the anguish that she would have gone through. This young, most likely teenage girl who uh, was now pregnant outside of wedlock. 
And think about all of those things. Think about Mary's Nazareth, what this looked like for her, what this felt like for her, how, how, how alone she must have felt. And then I want to ask you this question. What's your Nazareth? What's the place that you're living in, not as a physical location, not as in Statesboro or Brooklyn or Portal or wherever it is, but what's your life situation right now? What's your Nazareth? What is it that tends to haunt you? What is it that tends to keep you up at night? What's that sin in your life that if we were to put it up on the screen would be appalling? would be embarrassing. That sin in your life that continually brings condemnation to you, that continually reminds you of your imperfection, how far you fall short of what God intended. What is it that causes you fear, worry, anxiety? What is it that troubles you? What's your Nazareth? that place where you're living, that place where many times it feels like we won't ever get through it. See, we look at biblical characters and we, we rightfully think very highly of them, but we have to also remember that they're human just like us. Mary was a human being with all the same concerns. I'm sure she had dreams. I'm sure she had things that she hoped would happen, but she also had fears and anxieties and things that were just human and are part of our life. She would have felt the imposed shame, the imposed condemnation, those things coming from people, the same things that we oftentimes feel. And see, here's the thing that I realize about us as human beings. We know innately or just naturally, we know that we deserve that guilty people deserve punishment, right? They deserve judgment. They deserve to be um, um, condemned. That's why we feel condemnation. It's why we feel shame. It's why we feel guilt. It's because we know that there's a just punishment that should come to this. We understand this. I, and, uh, one example of this is if you've been around here for very long, you know that um, I am guilty of poking fun at our worship team. I'm guilty of poking fun about their skinny jeans. Now, at this stage in my life, all of my jeans are starting to become skinny jeans, right? But the reality is we, we poke back and forth at each other. They laugh at my boots. I laugh at their skinny jeans. But I'm guilty of poking fun at our worship team. And then one day on my phone, I get this picture right here. That is Reed, my youngest son, in a pair of Converse sneakers, tennis shoes, and skinny jeans. When I got this picture, I thought, well, I guess I deserved it. I've been poking fun long enough, and now my five-year-old's wearing skinny jeans, right? And so, uh, guilty people, you kind of expect punishment. You kind of expect uh, the, the, the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that you feel is just, that it's warranted, that this is just what's coming to you. And that's natural. It's naturally what we feel. Something that's unnatural that we don't oftentimes 
believe and we don't oftentimes feel is that guilty people are loved. When we feel guilty, we don't feel more loved, we feel less loved. This is something that's been going on since the beginning of time. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They ran and hid from God. They tried to get away from God. They didn't feel more loved, they felt less loved. And we're the same way when we're guilty, when we feel like something's not right in our life, even um, when we feel like there's something going crazy in our life, we oftentimes feel a sense of guilt. It doesn't make us feel more loved, it makes us feel less loved. But tonight, I want to encourage you with something, that it's a revelation of God's great love that's going to get you through your Nazareth. It's not a feeling of guilt or condemnation that's going to make you snap into shape. It's a revelation of God's love that's going to carry you through and and change you from the inside out. It's a revelation of who he is and this fact, and it sounds scandalous and it sounds wrong and it makes our religious mind um, reject it, but it is absolutely true from the front of the Bible to the back that God loves guilty people. That seems so crazy, right? That God loves imperfect people, people who've made mistakes, people who have been rejected by everybody else. God loves them. How scandalous is that? That God, who is righteous and just and perfect in every way, could possibly love someone who's not perfect in every way. But thank God that he loves people who are imperfect. I thank God every day that he loves someone like me who's guilty of not being everything that he wants me to be. And yet he's still loves me. He realizes I'm a work in progress and he continues to walk with me. But God loves guilty people. It's it's the craziest thing. It's the craziest thought. I'm not saying that he loves what makes us guilty, but there's no doubt that the Bible teaches that he loves us. For God so loved, right, the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, there's over 700,000 words in this Bible that point to one person, it points to Jesus. Just as the passage that we've read, it really isn't even about Mary, it's about the birth of Jesus and his divinity and who he is. 700,000 words that point to the fact that Jesus is the son of God and that God gave his son because he loves imperfect humanity and wants to do a work in our heart and do a work in our lives. But just in case this isn't enough, listen, listen, I hope you'll read this and I hope you will embrace the words that it shows us. But I want you to see something that may hit home for you tonight. I want you to see a testimony of a couple that God has worked in their life in such an incredible way. God took their Nazareth and now is using it for something that is glorifying him. I want you to watch this video and see this testimony of what God can do in the lives of people who are surrendered to him. Let's check this out. 
Brown and I first met um, when we were 17 years old. No, um, we weren't. You messed it up. We're 16. <laughs> All right, sorry. <laughs> Brown and I met at a pool party. We were 17 years old. We weren't. <laughs> Cut. You need one of them cut things. I'm really, this is going to be a long night. Brian and I met um, when we were 16 years old, um, going into our junior year of high school at a pool party. She was flirting really bad with me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was too, I'll admit it. Right after the party, I just knew that um, I really liked Brian. Um, almost immediately. And so the first thing I did when I went home was, of course, what every girl did um, back in the day was get on MySpace and look at his MySpace profile. And um, um, I knew that he was somebody that I wanted to get to know better. We had been dating for almost a year, and we decided um, it was starting to be the summer, and we just decided that it was time for him to focus more on wrestling. One more, Brian! At that time, I decided that um, I really want to pursue that in college and, and try to uh, wrestle at a, at a college level, and for that, that meant, that meant one thing, I, I would have to go off to wrestle. There weren't any colleges in the state of Georgia that had wrestling teams, so I would have to go off to college. So that was kind of my focus. I mean, pretty much my, my God at that time was was sports and doing what I wanted to do. We decided that we were going to take a break, and so Brian and I were actually broken up. And um, May of 2008, I was 17, and um, I just turned 17. My body had been going through some changes that only me and myself knew. And um, I had just been denying the fact that I was pregnant for quite some time, and I felt Brady kick um, for the first time, and um, that's when I knew. I knew I was pregnant, and I knew I needed to tell my parents. I knew I needed to tell Brian, and um, but I was already four months when I came to my mom, and I told her, and it was we were in the kitchen, and um, she gave me the biggest hug. And she told me things would be okay. And, and then immediately we had a doctor's appointment. And all on the same day, I got to find out that I was 20 weeks pregnant and I was expecting a boy. I really wasn't expecting what she told me. It really hadn't crossed my mind. Um, she told me that and she told me I was having a little boy and how far along she was. And uh, I, guess, I guess my first feeling was shocked for sure um, and then uh, scared um, really scared um, having to tell my parents that 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 uh, I had a little boy on the way um, was really scary I remember um, the night we came in we were here watching a movie Bill and I were in the den Brian and Bradley were in the bedroom and um, I just remember hearing kind of a cry he came in and the first thing he said is look at me, he said, Daddy, don't hate me. I'll never forget, I, you know, I remember this day. And he said, Caitlin's pregnant. We, we, you know, we just sat more or less in silence and, and very little talking. And uh, I remember sitting there just going over the things that the plans, quote, I had or we had that, uh, that, that were gonna be changed. 
almost immediately I went into a mode of, um, okay, I've got to, I've, you know, things have changed and I've got to do better and be better and be a better person. I had had a plan before I told him and I, I just said, don't worry about it, Brian. <clears throat> I want you involved in the baby's life, um, but I want you to follow your dreams. I want you to go wrestle and, um, cause I knew the talent that he had and, um, and I knew that he was gonna go somewhere big with wrestling. And so I just told him that we would make it work. I'd make sure that he was a part of the baby's life, that to go after his dreams. And he immediately just told me, no, um, I want to be there. I want to be a constant presence. And um, at 17, that's a pretty big thing for a guy to say. And so, so not only that, I knew that this was the man that I wanted to be with for the rest of my life. married when Brady was seven months old, um, June of 2009. Um, things were going good. They say that the first year of marriage is the hardest and the first year with a baby is the hardest. And that is definitely true because we had a double whammy and that first year of marriage was extremely tough. We grown bitter towards each other in a hurry. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, about really about a, a year into it, um, it was the following summer. I had a friend um, who'd gone off to college, and he came back home for the summer, and he, and he said, hey, man, I want, you know, we need to do a Bible study together. And so, you know, I thought I was a Christian person, so I said, yeah, that sounds great. And uh, we, we spent a lot of time together that summer, and the whole time I, I noticed a difference in him. Um, I, the, way, the way he came to the Word was different for me. It was a chore for me. Um, he, he enjoyed it, and, and it really kind of got me questioning, you know, that was really the first time it sparked, sparked, you know, something in my mind of, man, some, you know, something's different here. And uh, one morning in September, I was on the way to school, and I was listening to a sermon <clears throat> by David Platt, and uh, it was talking about uh, the sinfulness of man, and, uh, you know, it was... It was coming from Romans chapter one, talking about who we really are, and and it completely shattered my world. It shattered um, my thought that I was a good person that just messed up, and and you know God showed me who I was, which was a terrible person. There was nothing in me that was good. There was nothing in me that loved Him, or nothing that I could do to prove myself to Him. Um, that everything I was doing was out of selfishness and trying to make myself better and that I, that I didn't love him. And so it scared me to death. And um, I had the friend um, who, who we'd been doing the Bible study that summer was going to school in Athens. And I called him and I said, man, I gotta come see you and talk to you. So um, I, I went up to Athens that day and, and I talked to him and asked him, you know, what's going on, what do I need to do? And um, the Lord changed my heart that day and gave me a new heart. And the first person I called was Caitlin. I was on the way to school. Um, I, I drove two hours a day um, to and from school and um, he called me and he told me that he had gotten saved. 
and I noticed little changes in Brian's life. I'd, I'd, I'd um, go to bed and I'd see that he was reading his Bible and I saw that um, he was spending a lot of time um, just meeting with, he met with Billy and um, I just noticed changes in Brian. And these were changes that I hadn't seen before and they were good. And um, shortly after, I was driving to school again and um, and I just pulled off to this other road and I said, Lord, I can't do this without you. I cannot be a mom to Brody. Um, I want him to be of you. I want him to um, glorify you. I want to glorify you. I want my marriage to glorify you. Um, I need your help. And um, I'd always known who Jesus was. I was saved at a young age. Um, but through the pregnancy, and for some strange reason, I got bitter. Um, and it wasn't until um, that time in 2010 that I just completely surrendered my life to Christ. And I just said, I want to glorify God in all aspects of my life, and especially uh, through motherhood and being Brian's wife. And then I, I, called, I called everybody. Um, I called everybody I could think of. I, I called my second second phone phone call I made was to my brother. So one of the cool things about uh, Brian's salvation is that he bridged the gap, that big disconnect between Jesus and our family and, and how to talk about it and how to talk about a growing relationship with Christ. So uh, that's one of the things, and those walls are still be falling down around us in our family and that now we openly talk about what Christ is doing in our lives. And um, before Brody was born, um, I guess the best way to describe it is uh, my, my family is very spiritually idle, and um, you know, we, we did church, but we didn't do Christianity. Um, so when I think about Brody, I think about the impact it had on my brother's life, where I saw a radical transformation um, by a young man hearing the gospel, and after that, it just turned out to be a domino effect. It was soon after the Lord called me, um, and, and I gave my whole heart to Christ. And um, soon after that, I saw a radical change in my parents. Um, and after that, my grandparents. It just had a, a tremendous effect, starting with Brody. I learned how I'd been deceiving myself through the years of my kids growing up. When, when we found out that uh, Brian was going to be a dad as a junior in high school, uh, it changed immediately. You know, this perfect plan that I had had that, uh, oh, they'll go through, they'll excel at sports, they'll excel in the classroom, they'll excel at church because that's what good families do, you know. That's what, that was the, the grand plan. And I realized almost instantly, it sank in a few weeks later that uh, as I started leaning on the Lord through, through this situation that what, what I'd done all the way through was put our relationship as a family with the Lord in, at the back of the line. It took that to get, you know, to get me focused on what what really is important as a Christian in our walk, and uh, I had I had just lost perspective, and uh, I've grown more in my walk since then than the forty some odd years prior to that. I just believe that uh, if one thing and. and 
you know, I've had an unbelievable opportunity. I've got three kids in my home now. And one of the things as a father that, uh, that I pray I always do is that um, I communicate well with my family and I share Christ, not only with actions, but also that we talk about, um, intentionally talk about where we're at and where we are with our relationship with the Lord. Um, so I, I think it's important as a family that, uh, that we not just go to church, but we, uh, we talk about Christ in the home and that we open up those lines of communication and make it a subject that is very, very comfortable and very commonplace in the home. Flash forward seven years, Freddie turned seven in October, and um, we're doing well. Um, we're expecting our second one um, in February, a girl this time, and um, we're just happy. We're just looking forward to what else the Lord has in store for us um, as a family in here at Connection Church. You know, our story isn't, isn't anything, doesn't have anything to do with us being glorified or, or our sin being glorified. Um, you know, what we did was wrong. I think now, probably the biggest difference between now and seven years ago is we know, we know what our purpose is and we know um, who our joy is in it and what we're here to do and what we're here for. There's a lot of guilt and shame that comes along with walking around with a big old belly when you're 17 years old. Um, so everywhere I went, I carried this guilt and this shame right here, right on my belly. and. Um, the cool thing about God is He is the only one that can take all of our hurt and all of our brokenness and our shame and turn it into something that is going to glorify Him. Are you glad tonight that we have a God who doesn't love us because we're perfect, but comes to us despite our imperfections. That's what we celebrate at Christmas is this love of God that came to imperfect people, came to people with their own Nazareth, with their own issues, with their own struggles, and gives us this great love that carries us through those times, not just so we can survive, but so that we can thrive in relationship with Him. As I looked at this story, I realized what went on with Mary. There's a couple of things that really jump out. It says that she was highly favored. It says it two times that God's favor was on her. And the reality of that favor is that that word literally, it means grace. That God's grace was on Mary. Grace is the unmerited favor or love of God. The love that we don't deserve, but that God's given us through his son, Jesus, and he offers us before we, we come to faith in Christ and after we come to faith in Christ. See, it's not just his love that saves us, but his love also preserves us and changes us, works in us to do in us what we can't do on our own. And I was thinking about this and I thought, how, if God's treating us as though we are right, does that not make him wrong? 
And then I felt like what the Lord showed me was this, that the reason God can treat us as though we're right, even when we are wrong, is because the one who was innocent became guilty so that the guilty could become innocent. See, God would not have been just, he would not have been righteous if he hadn't punished sin. But he put his, that sin upon himself and took the wrath and the punishment of God himself so that we could be set free from the power of sin, from its grip, so that the innocent became guilty, so that the guilty could become innocent. I've heard it said that it's God's righteous way of making the unrighteous righteous. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. Why does he love us? Because he does. He's God. He gets to choose what he wants to do, right? And he loves us. And at Christmas, one of the things we celebrate is his love that was demonstrated in the giving of his son so that we could know him. How do we receive this into our life? The same way that Mary did. The Bible says that she says to God as he brings this word to her, this information, this message to her through the angel. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. What did she do? She simply surrendered to the plan of God. It's the same way that we receive God's love in our life is we just surrender. We just receive it. We say, yes. We say, you're the Lord. I'm here to serve you. And we receive the offer that he's given us an offer of relationship. We receive the exchange that he gives us where he gives us his holiness and righteousness and takes away our sin. That's a pretty good exchange, right? His righteousness and holiness for our sin. And it, it, it's easy for us to sit here and go, but, but the reality of it is if you tell people that, that they're loved in spite of their imperfections and they'll just go out and continue to be imperfect and they won't strive to be different, but that's not the reality because once you have a revelation of God's love, it begins to change you from the inside out and it begins to change who you are, but it's something that is real. It's not a mask that's put on to fake it, to try to, to act as though something's happened. It's something that is real and tangible inside of us that happens, that begins to change our life from the inside out. Have you experienced that? Tonight is God revealing that to you. Maybe you've been like this, the man in the video who said, for 40 years, I went through the motions basically. For 40 years, I didn't realize what this was about. But tonight, maybe for the first time, God through the power of his Holy Spirit is overshadowing you, literally enveloping you and showing you who he is. And if you are in that place tonight where you've never come to Christ as the Lord of your life and the savior of your life, then tonight you can do that. You can receive the invitation that Jesus is giving you right now. What better time to do that than Christmas Eve when we're celebrating our Savior's birth. 
In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to make a response. I'm gonna ask you to respond how the Lord is leading you. And I'm gonna ask you if tonight you would receive Christ, that you would raise your hand. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you that. If that's you tonight, that you would raise your hand to receive Jesus. But I want you to know why we do that. We don't do that so that we can take a head count. We do that because we believe that our first step of faith is coming to Christ and receiving his invitation. And we wanna help you take all those next steps of faith. And we wanna celebrate with you this new birth that happens when we come to faith in Jesus. The Bible says we literally go from death to life in Christ when our faith is placed in him. So tonight I wanna ask you that. You would say tonight I receive him for the first time ever in my life. I realize who he is and I'm surrendering to him as Lord and Savior. I ask you to respond and we wanna pray with you. Tonight you would say that, that tonight I wanna receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. I realize I've got my own Nazareth, I've got my own guilt, I've got my own shame, I've got my own past. But tonight I wanna to put that in the hands of a Savior, he loves me. Anyone tonight? Amen. Anybody else? Tonight before the service, I literally pleaded with God to save one. Save one, Lord. I guess I should have asked for 10, but isn't it awesome to see that happen? It never gets old seeing people take that step of faith. Tonight we're gonna to worship that God. I wanna pray for you before we do. And we're gonna do one more song and then we'll be dismissed. But before we go, I wanna pray for you where you're at in life and what's going on with you and that the Lord would just speak to your heart. He'd embrace you in his arms. And he'd carry you through the Nazareth of your life, whatever that is. Let's pray. God, we thank you that even though we can't know everyone's story, God, you do. I pray that you would place your hand upon each person here tonight, that we would feel your presence, God, in a very real way, that your spirit, as it says about Mary, would overshadow us in the same way that you would envelop us in your spirit, Jesus. Lord, thank you for your love and your grace and the power of who you are. Will you meet us where we're at tonight, Lord? Thank you that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.